Good morning. Morning. That is loud. Um, I thought I chuckled this morning, or at least on Sunday. I go, this is what you get for not checking the calendar really well. You're going to speak after all the speakers on the IF conference. Well done, Pats. And a lot of times I'll even think that you're going to speak after Alyssa. You're going to speak after Lindsay. You're going to speak after Mary. You're going to speak after Michelle. I mean, the humanness of who I am compares, and I hesitate. And then I go, no, Lord. One of those speakers was a gentleman that was born without his limbs. Testimony that speaks just in itself the courage to sit or stand or walk on those little legs that he has uh, of the testimony of how mighty our God is and that he can use all our brokenness to share Christ. And so, um, so we have some time to look in this next chapter and 14. And she entitled it Unexplainable unstoppable. And I think that was probably the theme throughout uh, those of you that attended the IF conference. To persevere, to endure, to finish the race well for the next generation. And um, for our stories to be told. Whatever they look like. However much um, we have suffered, however much we have rejoiced, but to tell our stories. Last week, I, um, after Bible study, um, I had to go to the hospital and visit my dad. Um, we knew um, that he probably would not be leaving the hospital upright. And so um, I have mentioned about my dad, and through your prayers, um, my dad and our relationship have been so redeemed, and I want to give you thanks and praise. And I want you to know that prayer is so essential, and so I give you thanks for that. And so as I went, um, my uh, dad was married in his second marriage, and um, as I walked into the room, uh, his wife, her daughter, and a couple granddaughters were there. And um, I came in around lunchtime because I come in to have a Bible study, and um, just asked them if they had eaten, and uh, they hadn't. And I said, just, just go, and, and I'll stay here with Dad. And it was a gift for me, as well as hopefully it was a gift for them. And um, Dad was already pretty much heavily medicated, and so it wasn't as if we were communicating with one another, um, but we were present in the room. And so I had just that time for half an hour to just have closure. Um, he was up on the sixth floor of Good Sam. Beautiful corner room, but he wasn't really caring about that. But as I looked out the window and just watched life go on, People coming and going, uh, driving, walking, and yet he was soon to take his um, last breaths here on earth. And in the same week, this last week, um, my youngest, who was pregnant with her uh, first, came with just a plethora of pictures of ultrasound of this new life. And I was presented in such a the circle of life that a new one was about to arrive at our family and one was about to go. And so um, right in the middle of IF conference around noon uh, on Saturday, Dad um, fell into the arms of Jesus. And it was uh, a time of a little, 
out-of-body experience for me as I'm sharing and I'm, uh, or I'm listening to those that are sharing in front of me, but I didn't want to be anywhere else but with women that love Jesus and were seeking to do um, what he has called us to do. And so, um, Dad and I are in a good place, and Dad is in an amazing place. And, um, and so thank you from the bottom of my heart for being the prayer warriors and support me in this. And really, without your prayers, without my small group prayers, I do not think that our relationship would have been redeemed on this side of heaven, but it was. So thank you. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks and praise for this place. For this day, the beauty that you have bestowed on us with the blue skies and the sunshine, Lord, I give you thanks, and mostly for your son. Lord, I thank you that my dad knew you, and that he's here with you, and this is not the end, but just another chapter in which I will see him again. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. So we're going to read through Acts 14 and a little bit of 15. Um, as we look and see uh, the first missionary trip that um, Paul and Barnabas made. And I love that they went as pairs. I love going with someone with me, especially to a strange place. So at the very beginning, it says, 14, 1 through 7, At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derby and to the surrounding country, where they continued to preach the good news. I probably, if I was one of the blessed ones to be around Barnes and Paul, would have told them, quit going to the synagogues. You know, just stick with your peeps, play it safe. That might have been almost telling them to stop reading. They were so focused and such on a mission to share the good news. I too, just like the author Aaron Wegeman talked about as we started this, is avoiding conflicts most of my life. And I let my husband Jim tackle most of them. Until I was no longer here. And I had nowhere to hide. I was raised in a family that had avoided dealing with conflict at all costs. I mean, we were experts at it. God forbid that you would talk to the actual person that you had the conflict with. No way of dealing with it. So our way of dealing with it was to talk to everyone else around. And that, then we would get it off our chest. Uh, we, and, and then we would consist, convince ourselves that everything was okay. I'm good. Are you good? I'm good. I'm good. They're in the wrong. I'm in the right. And of course, we would only go to the person in the family that would agree with us. <laughs> You've got to be smart about avoiding conflict. 
But the little scrapes and the disagreements festered just under the skin, where no one saw them on the outside. And so when the next scrape and the disagreement came, it deepened the woundedness and enlarged the chasm of a healthy relationship. What it did for my family is that we only looked inwardly to how to maneuver through life instead of looking outwardly to a savior and how to maneuver through life. In the Bible, God gives us a powerful way to respond to conflict. The natural approach to conflict is to focus, our natural inclination as human beings here on earth, is to focus on the opponent, what the opponent did to us. Yet if we try to resolve conflict by focusing only what someone else did wrong, we will never ever reach a true solution. This is out of the Resolving Everyday Conflict by Ken Sandy and Kevin Johnson, and they were uh, involved with peacemakers. One of the statements they made in their book is says, peacemaking comes naturally to no one. That was such a freeing statement to me. I thought, I'm normal. Okay, this does not come naturally. So how does it come? Supernaturally. What is conflict? Conflict happens when you're at odds with one another over what you think, want, or do. Primarily, it's when you don't think what you want. As Christians, we can't escape conflict. Unfortunately, conflict invades Christian relationships just as much as it does to every human relationship. But conflict, conflict is not always bad. I have learned this lesson in spades with someone in my life that I love dearly. This person taught me how to argue my side, how to listen to their side, and I'm talking heated discussions, and come out on the other side loving one another even more. The author of our study, Erica Wegman, stated, when it comes to serving the Lord, opposition is guaranteed. It's not a maybe. It's guaranteed. And I agree with that. I feel Paul and Barnabas expected opposition. Just as much as we can expect, put an expectancy in our prayers that God's will would be done in our life and around those that we love and care for, we must expect opposition when we stand firm on who Christ is. They were delivering news of the upside-down kingdom. As much as we've been hearing from church on Sunday that those of you church sunset or attend sunset, and it was received by a great number that heard it, which encouraged their hearts. It's, all, what, it's so encouraging to me when I have the privilege and honor to pray for someone. And we're finished praying, and they said, that's exactly what I needed to hear. And I don't remember exactly what I said. And I feel that I am so honored to be able to be in that position and it encourages my heart that is willing to, number one, have the courage to go and say that I could pray for them and then for God to use that is incredible. But there were those that heard and yet did not believe to the point of wanting to kill them. 
I am encouraged by Paul and Barnabas' singular focus of sharing the gospel. They did not let the opposition distract them. In fact, they stayed even longer. Now, let me ask you, if the opposition, do you want to hang around with it for a while? No. You want to exit stage left as fast as you can. Especially when you are sharing who Jesus is. This is, this is even more critical. Um, because the enemy is going to use those places to what Michelle alluded to, we talked about a little bit, to create doubt in what we know and how to say it. That God uses our broken pieces of who we are and our story to say exactly what we need to say at that point in time. It doesn't have to be in a synagogue, and it doesn't have to be in a big crowd, but it be, can across a table with a glass of coffee. <laughs> it was so fun at the end of conference, and I'll tell a little funny on my friend Lindsay. Um, she was speaking in between speakers, and she's just saying, you know, exhorting again, tell your story, ladies. It can happen across the table with a glass of and then she kind of looked up from her paper and looked at all these women. Coffee. <laughs> it was just awesome. <laughs> Trust God. In our heart, if our hearts are pure and our motives are set to lift up Christ, God will guard our testimony and the truth of our message. Let me say that again. If our hearts are pure, and our motives are set to lift up Christ, not our own opinion, not our ideas, not our standards. God will guard our testimony and the truth of our message. But you and I must be ready for the battle. In Ephesians 6, 10 through 19, we talk about the armor of God. It starts in 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For a struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, being right with God, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to distinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, because they will come. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. With all prayers and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all the perseverance petition for all the saints. Right now, think of the most difficult person, most pressing problem, or most overwhelming circumstance you're facing in your life right now. 
Everything that occurs in the visible, physical world is directly connected to the wrestling match between that is being waged in the invisible spiritual world. The enemy may be invisible, but he is not fictional. He is very real and very persistent, waging war against us constantly. Being a believer does not give us immunity from the assaults of the enemy, but it does give us access to the power of the Father. And I think that is where some of the doubt comes from as women of influence, because that's who we are, ladies, is we begin to doubt that we do not have the power in which Paul and Barnabas have the power. We have the same power. The Holy Spirit pumps through our veins and our heart. We have the power. The enemy is very real, he's very persistent, and he's waging war against us. But the power that we possess is the power of the Father. And he will defend us as well as what has been done to us. That is the power. Victorious. It's done. It's over. In Acts 14, 8 through 18. Here they're moving on. In Lystra, there sat a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw they had a faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw that Paul, what Paul had done, they shouted in Uh, let's let's call it Lyconian language. The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul, they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifice to them. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human, like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven, and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your heart with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Spiritual opposition. They faced it. We will face it. Will we cave in and blend in the culture of the day and the gospel to make it more palatable to our listeners? I experience emotional opposition. Will we crumble when lies are said of us and walk away? Praise. Oh, the enemy is wise. The enemy is crafty. Praise. Will we begin to believe it's about us and look inwardly than outwardly to God? 
all ways in which the enemy works. They were receiving praise. They were receiving sacrifices. The temptation was there as much as it was in the temptation in the desert for Jesus for 40 days. You and I can cave in, crumble, and believe that we are all that in a given moment. If we start believing the lies and the doubts, we'll start entering in. We can rely on our own wisdom because it can easily have just enough truth sprinkled throughout our line of thinking to make us think we have the inside track. We start to rely on our own ideas, our opinions, our speculations, and then begin to set the standards of how we do life instead of living within God's will. It's subtle. The enemy doesn't ring the doorbell, ladies. He comes in by the back door, by the crack window. It's very subtle, but he comes. But when we look outside of ourselves and truly see the goodness of God through creation, the created order of things, we rightly take our place at the foot of the cross. We become less self-centered and become more God-centered. Huge concepts they were delivering to the people. An upside-down kingdom. It goes on to say in 14, 19-23, Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day he and Barnabas left for Derby. As I read this and I reread it, I thought it should be bold, it should be flashing, it should be a neon sign. They stoned Paul and left him for dead and dragged him outside. And he got up. He got up. That's a miracle within itself. We can barely, I'm not going to say we, I'll say I barely can handle the stones that are thrown at me with just words, let alone with the harshness of a stone. God was not finished with Paul then, and he's not finished with you and I. He's not finished with us until he calls us home, as he called my dad home, on Saturday, he wasn't finished with him yet. I've had the opportunity to experience um, those taking their last breath and, and in that struggle towards the end. And, and many of my family members have said, why is he still leaving me here? And I come back with that because he's not finished with yet. And it might not be the very words that they say, at the last moment, that is oh, everything that God is doing around that. I watched it in the last days with Jim. I've watched it with my other family members. God is not finished with us yet. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance 
for us to do. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship. So, he's been stoned to death. He raises up, shakes himself off, and off they go to the next city. I, I had to reread it and reread it and reread it. Okay, no biggie. Yeah, biggie. Really big. They preached. Singularly focused, not distracted by what had just proceeded to happen to him. Preached. And in preaching, they strengthened the disciples around them. They encouraged them to remain faithful and through all the hardships. And they also said, you will all have hardships that you will face. Then they turned their attention to organizing the church and appointed elders, which became Paul's natural pattern of church organization. I didn't have my act together well enough to get the map to show you and to point, but they started off at Antioch on, on the coastline of uh, Syria, and they dipped down to Cyprus to this, I think is a pretty beautiful island. You could have hung out there for a while. And then on up into the um, northern part of Galatia. Which there is commentaries that argue over whether it was northern, southern, and um, and it has been a stumbling block for some theologians exactly where this was. And um, I didn't uh, stumble on it myself, but it's just again I see how much that the accuracy of who Luke was. And describing it was so important to the readers of that time and the time to come. Then they prayed for them. As an elder, I can't begin to digest all of this here fast enough. I get so overwhelmed with the awesomeness of God and the apostles and the disciples and the courage and the boldness those who went before us. And to think that you and I have the power of the Holy Spirit in us to do incredible things for the sake of Christ, all of us. So I covet your prayers for the elders for our church and I covet them for me as a woman just like you. That I have my story and you have your story. And we need to be prayer warriors for one another. To hold each other up to encourage one another, to warn others that you are going, you're going to have some battle, you're going to have some opposition, but that you're not alone. That our faith is alone is what saves us, but it's not to be alone in the midst of it. In Acts 14, 24-28, it goes on to say, as soon as I find it, after going through hmm, Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And I'm sorry if I've massacred these words, the names. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them, and how he opened the door of faith to the Gentiles and that they stayed there a long time with the disciples. 
So they started here, went down to Cyprus, and they came up, and then they made a little Yui, and they came back and encouraged the churches as they came back into Antioch. So it's kind of a, it wasn't a rounded, uh, circular, which makes me feel good. It was a go back and then come back to Antioch. And so now they are returning back to where they were actually commissioned from the first place. And guess what? As we read in 15, 1 through 21, what did they find there? Opposition. I've had, uh, uh, I've experienced it in a small way, and I think probably those that have returned from a mission trip, when they come back and share, where they see God move in such incredible ways, and there's a bit of numbness from the crowd that they share it with. And they kind of just want to say, but, 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 but did you hear what I just said? This is what I saw. And yet, it's not heard and not touched in a way that they would hope. I would, uh, in young life, we would go to camp and um, we would come back just hiring a kite because we had just seen God move in these kids' lives in such an incredible way. And we'd come back and share it. And some would be able to share uh, in the excitement of the new life uh, coming into the kingdom. And the ones that were most readily ready to share with me were my prayer warriors. Because they had been praying with me through the journey. And so the Spirit had already been touching their hearts. And they already knew the individual kids' names that I was going to be spending time with. But then... I would come back and they would watch. And if those same kids went and party that next weekend, they doubted whether their acceptance of Christ was really true. And so they began then, just as we're going to get into in 15, start putting specifications of what it needed to look like in order for them to be confirmed within that they had actually made an acceptance and asked Christ into their life. Opposition. When you stand firm for Christ, you're going to experience it. So in, in chapter 15, it goes on to say, Some men came down from Judea to Antioch, and they were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and the debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. And some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. How did we backtrack to here? The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you. The Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. 
He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why did you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Oh, James? Our James? Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. It is written, After this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things that have been known for age, ages. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual morality, and from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times, and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. hardest of all ideas for human beings is to grasp is the doctrine of salvation of grace alone. We all want to add something to it. The Jewish believers became increasingly troubled by what was happening and the Gentile believers were not resolving the problem by taking on the yoke of Judaism. So they called this council Pray and look at it closer. It was nece necessary for the Gentiles to keep the law of Moses to be saved if it was necessary. If it was necessary for the Gentiles to keep the law of Moses to be saved, then Paul and Barnabas were false teachers. Paul restated again the Gentiles were to be saved by the work of Christ alone. We are saved by faith alone, but not faith that is alone. True faith results in good deeds. We will see the transformation happen. And visually, God gives us that, including adherence to the moral law of God, living within God's will. Nevertheless, Paul insisted just as strongly that nothing, absolutely nothing, is a prerequisite to faith. So if you say you must be circumcised and believe, or you must be baptized and believe, or you must go to this church or that church and believe, or you must belong to that denomination and believe, yours is a false gospel. If it was necessary for the Gentiles to keep the law of Moses to be saved, then faith is not enough. If it was necessary for the Gentiles to keep the law of Moses to be saved, then Gentiles throughout the whole world, both in the past and today, are not saved. 
than the Junaites. By faith alone in Christ Jesus, we are saved. Let's pray. Father, I give you thanks and praise for these ladies. I give you thanks and praise for your son. I give you thanks and praise for the time spent with you and your word. Thank you for life, for the breath that I breathe. Lord, I thank you for your creation, for you are the creator of all things. May I not suppress that. May I not acknowledge that. May I not come to you each morning, each day, with a thankful heart that the God that you are is simply by having faith in your Son. He said he was, what he's done for me, took my place for the sins that I, such a sinner, Lord, and wiped that all clean. So that I may sit in the presence with you one day for eternity. Be with us as we discuss more and dig in and question what it looks like to be a woman of influence that pursues you, Lord, in such a fervent way that we would be bold, ever so bold, for you to persevere, to endure, to fan the flame, to share with the next generation our story. It's part of the bigger story. Like yours, Father. Yes, he's singing your son's name. Amen.